Never before in history have so many people on earth been going through the same thing at the same time. It's called the pandemic. We're 18 months in, and we feel like we're in a holding pattern. And when I said holding pattern to you re- recently, you go, hey, you go, how are you? I'm very good, darling. Do you remember how you uh, reacted when I said holding pattern to First of yesterday? all, I didn't understand because that's a word in English that I'm not used to hear. You remember, I'm just French. Yes. But it means restraining yourself from something? No, imagine you're on a plane and yes. you're, it, you're ready to land yes. and the captain comes on and he says... Um, sorry that we have a problem below. We've got too much traffic going on. So we're going to circle around a few times and then we'll land and we'll all be, um, ready okay. to carry so It's on. called holding. That is yeah, it's a waiting holding pattern, right? You're going around and around in circle waiting to land. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the best way, the best analogy I can come up with as, in terms of how it feels to be in this pandemic for eight almost 18 months. That's right. It's like we're in a holding pattern, but the good news is cases are dropping all in almost every country mm-hmm. around the world. Yes. And this is creating a little bit of, uh, I could say excitement, anticipation. Oh, wow. It's like people are just dreaming of what it's going to be like when it's over. Mm-hmm. Uh, may I add something that uh, I, I totally agree with what you said, but for me, the most important information of all that is that for the first time in history, the whole planet, every human being on the planet, maybe except North Korea, because they're very isolated, and uh, well, that's the only example I can, that comes to my mind, but every human being on the planet was looking in the same direction, because every human being was impacted. It's the first in the history of humanity. Exactly. Because even World War II, World War One, we call it a world war, but it's an abusive language because it was not the whole world. It was uh, Europe and a little bit America and Japan, but not the rest of the world. Same thing for the bubonic plague, you know, that some some um, occurrences of the bubonic plague happens to, to last like more than two centuries, but it, nobody was able to travel back right, in the And years. it was more, exactly, so it was more isolated exactly. in specific areas. Yeah, so it's the first time that the whole humanity has the same problem and maybe we'll have the same reaction and is in the holding pattern in different levels that we all can't wait in our case, to dress up again, to go outside again, to to be the best version of ourselves again. All this we we can't and not have to be stressed about safety. This is going to be a new era. Exactly. And you know, before all this happened, we each person out there would have their moments uh, a cathartic moment where they realized something about their life and they wanted to improve. An awakening, a eureka time. But isn't it weird when you think about it? Almost every single person on earth yes. has had this cathartic moment. They they reassess their life. They yes. know, they know what's important now more than they did before. Mm-hmm. They have different goals. They see things in different ways. It's strange to have this consensus. That's right. And many people should uh, maybe are asking themselves the question: Why are they talking about? I'm here to listen about sartorial stuff and about clothing and about dressing well. But this is precisely. We try to reflect 
on what does it change for us. Is the classic style maybe part of the answer in many, many questions that is uh, asked have been, have been new in the head of people? The first thing that comes to my mind when uh, I think about this pandemic, you know, in France, we were locked down literally Right. With no right to get outside. And, and I know it was the same in many countries in the world, in Australia, in many countries. People were literally locked down inside their house. Exactly. And it, for me, the first reaction that cre it was created for me and for many, many other people is that we have to relearn something that we totally forgot. was called patience. Waiting. Patient, be patient. And patience is probably uh, one of the most important things uh, when we speak about tailoring, when we speak about handmade clothing. You have to be patient. That's a great tie-in. And, and also, you know, we always talk about clothes creating emotion. Yes. Well, we can say probably the two um, polar emotions people felt was, first of all, some people actually enjoyed the pandemic. They they wanted to... Well, um, they didn't enjoy the pandemic. They enjoyed the lockdown. Well, yeah, I'm sorry. That was really <laughs> not well put. Yeah. But they enjoyed their time, yep. you know, at their homes mm -hmm. and having an excuse not to go out. Maybe they were not exactly extroverts. Maybe they were introverts and they, well, that was I, a relief for them. That's right. I know two people who were very happy to be locked down. It's you and me, darling. <laughs> that's okay. But we're also happy to go out. We're sort of a combination. Of course, of course. We're but we were happy because we were traveling the world constantly, constantly, and we were realize all of a sudden that it was not so bad to be at home also okay we have the luck to do our job we can broadcast we can we can uh, record podcasts we can record youtube we can do many many things we're at home but we rediscover also that a slow pace may be also very interesting it, it make us give us the time to reflect on what we really do. And in our case, darling, I can say for both of us that it gave us more depth in what we want to do with tutorial talks, with our books, with our blogs, with our social network, and give a new meaning maybe. Right. But you know, we're very positive job. people. On the flip side, yes. other people became very depressed mm -hmm. and very scared and just concerned about how they were going to make ends meet. I mean, it was a, it was not that kind of experience for them at all. That's right. And especially children, a lot of them, that was difficult, you know, because they couldn't have that social interaction. Mm -hmm. So they're just on the other side, you know, It really was a dichotomy in, in a lot of ways of how people dealt with the pandemic. And a lot of it had to do with whether they were in need financially or not. Exactly. Yeah. So, so it's a bit, it's a complicated subject, but like you said, and usually I'm the one trying to get you to move on this mm -hmm. time, you're trying to get me to move on. So you're the leader all, of this show, darling. No, but we're going to need you to <laughs> interject so much into this because we want to tie in how the pandemic affected the sartorial world mm -hmm. okay we can say um first of all that and this is a really interesting thing there's been a paring down not just of clothes of almost everything and excessive quantity of clothing is now considered vulgar now this yeah. is a big shift right remember in the past you mm -hmm. a woman couldn't be seen in the same dress oh yeah Oh, yeah. It was almost something like, uh, okay, I've always been very surprised and almost, well, I can say, between we are with our patrons only. 
Yeah. Uh, maybe this yes. is broadcasting between 200, 300 people. So right. we are among us. It's a private But I was podcast. disgusted, me, when I heard people say, oh, I can't wear this dress again because I've been uh, taking photos already two times. Oh, I went to a dinner with this dress and I can't do to another dinner with this dress. I said, what are you talking about? Yeah, you've never liked that. But you know what? We also saw this in, uh, in terms of the men in our satorial world. A lot of them won't be photographed more than three or four times in the same suit. That's ridiculous. I, and well, I, I explained to you why, because it's just that in classic style, Here, ladies and gentlemen, as you know, we are talking about tailoring. We are talking about um, quality. We are talking about slow fashion. We are talking about the most paradoxical activity in human life is that you pay more to wait more. Normally, it's something... When you go to a tailor, isn't it paradoxical that you pay more than ready to wear? But it's not ready to wear, so you'll have to wait. Normally, when you have the power... The money, the wallet, or the power, it means that you can have everything almost instantly. Exactly. And in our world, it's the exact reverse. The more you go up the scale of quality, the, the longer you, you have to wait. Exactly. But the good side of that is that the more you dream about it, the more you desire it, the more you, you really wish, the more you imagine yourself with your new suit, even with a shirt, even with a simple thing as a pair of socks, a pair of a scarf or whatever, you wait a little bit more, specifically when it's custom-made, of course, and you rediscover the virtue of having a long-lasting world. And that's something that is really appearing Uh, in our market, in our community, is this ideal, it's, it's idea of minimalistic wardrobe. Right. That is to say, you don't need to have, okay, we do have a lot of suits and shirts and ties because it's our job. But more and more people, and even people who have the means to buy more, they decided that maybe they can only have, let's say, five, six suits and uh, maybe five, six shirts and... Only with a minimum amount of clothing, you can really enjoy your life. And it creates something totally different in your head. We are away of this fast fashion. Right. I think fast fashion is, well, it's not dead, but it's dying. It is dying. And you know, really interesting is I've seen so many people who have so many suits. Yeah. And they're doing this new craze, which is sell my suits. Yeah. And they're actually putting their suits up for sale, saying mm. that they don't want to have this massive wardrobe anymore. Yes. And they're, I don't know, I don't even think they need the money. I think it's just the gesture yeah. of paring down their wardrobe. And, you know, it, it's, it's something I've never seen before. But it's the effect of the pandemic, baby, because people, sorry, I called you baby, but you're the okay, baby. Don't right? worry. <laughs> <laughs> it's, this pandemic, I think, had the virtue to, to make people stop Stand by and think, okay, a lot of people have been struggling. We, we, we understand that. But most of us, we, we just stop and think differently. And we just discovered that, um, well, it was kind of stupid to have all this thing. It was kind of useless. And we really... And what about storage space? I mean, that's, well, I mean, that's, that's another thing. Yeah. I mean, now you're taking up, you're, you're cluttering up your 
place where you live. Yeah, but what I wanted to finish to follow up on what, what you, you were saying that people are selling their suit. Now it's a big thing that is happening and we love that, is that instead of throwing away clothes, and even, you know, a simple shirt or a simple knitwear or whatever, now more and more people, when they resell it, it's not only for the money, it's for the gesture. Right. Uh, instead of putting a suit or whatever piece of textile in a garbage that would, you know, you know, textile industry, is a, it's a high pollution. It creates high pollution on this planet. I don't know. We don't have the figures, but they are massive. You know, this fast fashion, some brands of fast fashion, we're not going to tell their name, but, you know, are employing people in Bangladesh. They sometimes use to change their whole collection every two weeks. This is what we call, and they were programming the obsolescence of desire. I repeat this sentence because for me this is key. Fast fashion programs the obsolescence of the consumer desire. You want this dress because you've seen it everywhere, on billboards, on social media, on TV, you want it. And then two weeks later... You don't want it anymore because there's a new dress coming, which is by these people. And then, and then this is crazy. There was some kind of... Um, it's almost like a brainwashing, you know, and I... I it is a brainwashing. I mean, I would say it's probably more like every two months instead of two weeks. But I mean, I could give an example, too, of, of just cowboy boots with skirts, which sounds bizarre to you. This <laughs> yeah. was like a thing that everybody had to do because everybody saw everybody doing that. Yeah. Okay, it's the same thing with all kinds of different examples, it's almost like we allow ourselves to be brainwashed yes. and to believe that we have to wear what other people are wearing. Mm -hmm. and, and it's precisely the reverse of what we are doing here. It is because our whole goal is to be unique and express ourselves, not blend in with the masses. Exactly. And customization is becoming a big thing. And, uh, well, fortunately... Well, we don't say this because we are on this market since 12 years, but we are advocating for tailoring, for customization, for custom suiting, for um, taking over your own style, for not being under the dictatorship of big brands, for, um, you know, defining your own style. And we're advocating for that since 12 years, baby, uh, almost every day. And all of a sudden, well, I don't say that the pandemic was a good thing, but he made all of us re Consider. We reshuffled in our heads. Exactly. And then important. all of a sudden, and I love this enormous movement in secondhand clothing. I love the fact that people now, uh, it's not only to make money, it's also they, they, they understand the meaning. You know, instead of throwing away things, uh, keep them. Well, for example, a pair of good shoes. I'm not even speaking of bespoke shoes. A pair of good shoes, around three or four hundred Euros. If you go to a Goodyear welted shoes, a uh, pair of shoes, uh, if you uh, maintain them with simple gesture, they're going to last all your life. I, I mean, all your life, your, I know your that lifetime. It's hard to grasp, isn't yes. it? Yes. I'm not speaking about $3,000 shoes. No, I'm talking about, for example, TLB in Mallorca. For example, it's a good example. He's a friend of us. His shoes are around between 300 and 500. They are totally good year welted. You can resold them, and uh, and uh, maybe on, over the course of a lifetime, maybe you can resold them three, four times. Well, 
it means that pair of shoes will last you 30 years. And if your son has the same size as you, you can maybe pass it on. Of course, it's the same on higher brands. I, we can tell. I received yesterday the resold pair of a Paolo Scafara, one of my favorite Gorgeous shoes in the shoes. Fantastic. The shoes I've been wearing probably the most. Uh, and I needed to be resold. I received them. They are new. I wish they could see a picture. They look new. They're new. And you probably wore them more than a thousand times? Oh, yeah. Probably. I would say maybe, yeah, I would say between 500 and 1,000 times, which is a lot for yeah, a pair of yeah, shoes. So truly. you understand that that idea is that longevity, buy less, but buy better, is something that is so important. And we believe uh, that in our world, this pandemic Maybe, we're not sure, you know, we are not, you know, sociologists, we don't have a totally global view on the world, but we have kind of a global view on the sartorial world, and we see more and more young people understanding and not being the victim of fashion, and really going back to classic style for different reasons, for expressing their personality, for... Uh, being the best uh, version of themselves, but also to invest uh, money. In a nutshell for me, um, the situation with the post-pandemic uh, and with the pandemic uh, pushed all of us to be more reasonable in what we do. Mm. And this idea of being reasonable doesn't mean being boring, being reasonable. Consume clothing differently. Um, rediscover the joy of waiting. Rediscover the joy of understanding what you buy. Just not buy like, even if you have a big wallet, uh, just, you know, buying like that, things because it's expensive and because it's the fashion, it's vulgar. You know, rediscovering the desire. Right. Me, I have a lot of suits, as you know, darling, it's my job. But I have a few suits in progress in France, in Italy, everywhere around the world. I dream of them. Even after many, many, many suits, I still dream of them because the waiting is so important. We'll be back after a quick break. Hey, Drew Boa here, host of Husband Material, the weekly podcast where I help men outgrow pornography. Why? So you can change your brain, heal your heart, and save your relationship without fighting a frustrating, exhausting battle. Find Husband Material wherever you get your podcasts or go to husbandmaterial.com. It is, and, and you said something very key when you were talking about rediscovering desire. You once wrote an article called The Obsolescence of Men. Remember mm -hmm. this? Yep. Well, I want to tie that in, and you can explain it, to our experience with staying home on and off for 18 months, yes. being deprived of dressing up, being deprived of experiencing bespoke made to measure or even high level ready to wear, being deprived of just presenting our best self and instead hanging out in sweats, maybe doing our Zoom, you know, and our um, whatever underwear. And I mean, you know, who could have imagined that we would once again desire what we once felt to be, some people felt to be a burden, getting up, getting out, dressing, you know, taking care of our bodies and, you know, talk about 
the theory of the obsolescence of man and how we have been sitting around for 18 months deprived of the things I just described. Mm-hmm. Explain what that means. Well, the, the article you're referring to, is, um, it's a long article I, work, um, I, I wrote on Praise and Gentlemen years ago. It was more on the idea that um, more and more we live in a standardized world and we live also more in a mechanical world. Uh, today, uh, we are all harassed and literally brainwashed by not by people, not by dictator, thank God, except in some country, but by algorithm. Algorithm is becoming the key of all the human uh, activities. Uh, you know, it's um, I, I've seen a guy on Twitter. Is a, I don't remember the name of his account, but it's it's, a, it's an hilarious guy um, uh, who is um, um, is working with cardboards and message on cardboards, you know, simple cardboards, and is writing things that everybody feels but nobody says. For example, he said, "Stop showing to me." on internet the thing I just talked about with my wife because it happened to all of us all right. just like we talk about uh, whatever shoes black shoes and so all of a sudden you have posters. black shoes he's holding up posters yeah he's okay. holding up this guy is hilarious and he's right algorithms are at the center of our life isn't it crazy that everything it's, it's all about you know how the data collection and stuff so obsolescence of man was about that it was about the, the, the ability to Take over control about your own life. And I was taking the example, for example, you don't know. Well, maybe you know, uh, people who are listening to us or know, that uh, the children of the, uh, the most important people, uh, uh, the founders of Google, of Facebook, of all this enormous company who are making billions and zillions and trillions on the internet, you know what they do with their own children? They put them in a school who are not collect- connected. Right. You understand? In yeah, school where right. they use real paper. Yes, madam, real paper, real pens, no iPad, no connection. That means that all the founders and the millionaires and the billionaires of the internet, they understand that you need to, to retake control of your own life. And that was about that. And I was making a parallel with what we do in the sartorial world. That is to say, we, uh, well, well, Oscar Wilde was saying a uh, decade, oh, a century ago, uh, um, uh, fashion is such an ugly thing that we have to uh, change it every two months. And he was so visionary. And then today uh, we think, and I think more and more, that everybody say, the suit is dead, the shirt is dead, the tie is dead, all this is dead. And I say, no, sir, it is not dead because on the contrary, it's becoming almost a counterculture, which is progressing a lot. And we decide that we can uh, have the decision on how we want to look and how we want to present ourselves to the world. Right. Well, you have me thinking about what has become obsolete in our lives. We talked about... You talked about uh, kids using computers and iPads and being connected techno- technologically. Mm-hmm. And so we've lost things like the handwritten letter, yes. for example. Yes. Um, we've lost, oh, I remember you talked about jogging because everyone had cars, mm-hmm. trains, planes. Mm-hmm. Well, it's and, just uh, what I was explaining that every massive movement always creates a counterculture. That's I took it. the example, for example, you know, in the 80s in America, Everybody was, it was the car, it was, it was the race, every household has two, three, four cars. 
<laughs> which is crazy. Honestly, ladies and gentlemen, do you really need to have three cars? Are you kidding me? This well, is car collectors. Yeah, uh, no, 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 no. In America, there are not car collectors. No, there's no. a truck, there's a small car, there's a big car, and then um, uh, a family car, what right. you call the suburban. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's four cars. Yeah. Do you really need four cars no, in your life? No, you not. don't. But this created, when you go so far in, in, in uh, culture, but it created counterculture. And that was the beginning of the enormous boom of jogging. Right. All of a sudden, people started to run again. Why? As a reaction. Or also, the enorm- one of the most um, um, uh, pro- fast-progressing market in the world is bicycles. Mm. Why? Because people rediscovered the fact that maybe you don't need to use your car to go and buy some bread. This is ridiculous. You can go on foot. Where in Europe we can go on foot most of the time. But in America, you take your car even to go for everything. And so it created a counterculture. And that's also true in our world. Thank you. You see, in our world, of the sartorial world, after having all this fast fashion, all this dictatorship, and I really mean my words, all this, well, I mean, it's not a bad dictatorship that puts you in prison, but somehow... All these designers and mega brands who hold the whole media and they're everywhere, they literally brainwash and force you to buy their stuff, you know? And so little by little, I think that we, uh, people are going away from that. Even, well, we have to admit, in some countries it's still very important, the branding and everything. But I think there's a reaction. And so we came as a counterculture to that. And say, hey, 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 wait a minute, people. What about tailoring? What about shoemaking? What about real garments? Yes. What about artisanship? What about all these ateliers who are dying because there are such a beautiful know-how around and, and there's no more customers because everybody wants this fast fashion like a, almost like a, a crazy people. And then this counterculture started to raise... And we are becoming quite, um, I mean, we are. I believe this counterculture now is um, becoming very important. And the pandemic maybe reinforced that. Right. You said earlier that before the pandemic, we were speaking a lot about being rebels and being part of the counterculture. Yes. But then you said you saw a shift. And it's not so much about being a rebel today. Yeah, it's being, um, it's being almost a good citizen. Mm. You understand when you when you don't throw away your 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 garments, mm-hmm. you understand what you do. Right. You just recycle something and maybe make somebody else enjoy your suit. Or when you go to a tailor, maybe instead of buying ten suits, you buy one for the same price of ten, but you're gonna keep it all your life. So it gives a meaning to the gesture. It's not only about dressing well anymore. It's also being. Uh, you know, good for the planet. We talk about global warming. We talk about pollution. Uh, the textile industry is a catastrophe. I, know, I don't know if you heard the news about a high street brand that was called out for burning yes. their clothes. Yes. I mean, huge amounts of their designer clothing. And of course, there was the incinerator that was polluting. Yeah. You know the why they were burning? Tell me. Because they don't want the price to drop. That's what I was wondering. Say, yeah. This is the biggest scandal of all times. I, we're not speaking here about fast fashion. We're speaking about luxury brands. Yes. And everything that was not sold instead of, I don't know, put it on the second hand market. No, they don't want. 
because I will not give names, but these people who are selling you um, plastic for the price of gold because you buy a logo mm -hmm. and nothing else by a logo, when they don't sell enough, after the pandemic, you're right, during the pandemic, they were burning thousands and tens of thousands of bags of shoes, of knitwear, of suits, because they didn't want pe these pieces to be on the second market. Yes, and with incredible raw materials, the best of the best leather, yes. the best of the best fabric. They could easily repurpose that, that yes. fabric. You could cut it apart, um, maybe sell it to other brands who can't get that kind of leather. Exactly. Who can't get that kind of fabric. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's ways that you could deal with that. And so we see this infuriation that maybe we didn't see before because there is that heightened concern about the environment. And this is something that's really become mainstream. Exactly. And we have to credit our good friend G. Bruce Boyer. Yes. Because since decades, he says, okay, G. Bruce Boyer, if you don't know him, I think he has a podcast, by the way, called, uh, what's the name of the podcast he has with Pedro Mendes, Button Up? It is buttoned up. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, great podcast. There's two podcasts with the same name, so you have to make sure you get the okay, right so one. Okay, so you just type yeah. G. Bruce Boyer. Mm -hmm. he's, he's, a, he's a journalist. He worked for Esquire magazine for many years, for town and country since like 40 years. Uh, he's not he's not he's in young age, but he's a good friend of us, and it, for me, he's one of the best journalists in our area. And he's interviewed and, by Pedro Mendez. Exactly. Okay. Our friend Pedro. Hello, Pedro. How do you do? And, um, it, and, and, and what is interesting about... G. Bruce Boyer, since 25 years, 30 years, he say, buy less, people. Please buy less, but right. buy better. Exactly. Buy better quality. Go and look for a tailor. You understand that, in, we all, we, I don't know how you say, in French we say uh, la trace écologique. I don't know how you say the footprint, you know, the, 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 the right, ecological, ecological footprint. footprint, footprint yeah. Okay. The ecological footprint of a tailor is zero. Why? Because he's working by hand in an atelier right there. You understand that. So this is something that is becoming also for many people like us, for example, who are very aware of what we do when we go to a doctor. Yes, going to a tailor costs you much more than going to a <laughs> department store, if there are any surviving, because the departments are suffering a lot. That's another subject that we're going to tackle maybe in another episode. But if you go to a tailor, you may pay a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Oh, even much more. But you pay for something that is not creating pollution, with something which is reasonable, and on top of that, something that will be exactly to your measures. And you're gonna, and you're gonna. You're keep also supporting artisans in general. Exactly, and you're gonna keep this all your life. Right. So it's this is why the, the term reasonable is in my head, as if this pandemic was um, triggering all of us to become more reasonable or at least to think a little bit more right when you buy something and it applies so well to our world it does fantastically put okay before we end i want to get down to the nitty-gritty and just throw out some names of makers and this is just for those people that want to present their best selves but they may be in different financial segments mm -hmm. so say you're a student and you're just starting out name Two suit brands and two shoe brands you may want to look at. Uh, first uh, of all, I would like to say, if I'm a student, I will go to the second-hand market. Okay, that's so the second-hand market. To, that's the first thing to do. There's many, many platforms now. Uh, we c you can buy fantastic quality suits for the fraction of the price. And the second-hand market is a, such a good way to start. 
Okay. You know, and I've seen so many young men, even at the uni, they were in the college, even in high school now, they just thrift and it becomes some kind of, it's a f so fantastic. You have to have time to do that, of course. But the secondhand market is a fantastic way to start. Good. And I would say if you are um, progressing a little past that and you want to buy, I'll throw out two brands, Walker Slater and maybe Suit Supply. I thought you said it, you said it for me. <laughs> oh, this is it too. What about um, shoes? I know herring, but what about another economy shoe? Oh, wow. Well, you know, so there's the CNES, for example, in okay, Singapore. Okay, that's a good the one. That's a good one. Great people. Uh, we have also, uh, of course, well, we spoke about Mermin a lot, but I, I believe CNES is very interesting brand. Right. Uh, a little bit above that, you go to Septième Largeur in France, for example, nice. around 200 bucks. This is fantastic shoes. Now, also... Uh, the tutorial world is developing that now you don't have to spend thousands to have access to quality. That's right. You understand? And so um, uh, you talk about Suit Supply. Okay, Suit Supply is a fantastic uh, entrepreneurship success. Um, and uh, it's from the Netherlands originally. Okay, they craft in China, because, but they have people there. And, uh, but it's still a very good value. But they are challenged right now. They're challenged by other players right i know the they field. used to have a women's line it just went under so. no, but i challenge by people who say you know what if we can do the same kind of prices by crafting in europe or in mm. the usa oh. why are we have we have to always depend on china because for everything the customer is getting more educated exactly and there are new countries which are becoming very interesting for example portugal is a fantastic country for clothes and shoe factories same for spain same from romania so with uh, slovakia we rediscover that we don't have to fly to china and i think there's also a revolution going on in our sartorial world that uh, but maybe uh, we can provide extraordinary quality made in Italy, made in Spain, made in Portugal, made in Romania, and not far. I have nothing against China specifically, but the thing is that we believe strongly that there's still a future for high-quality clothing and shoemaking, and we don't have to uh, order our thing from you know, 8,000 miles away. No, right. no, you may find it closer than you believe. Unfortunately, in France, we're not very good for suiting and for shoes. We only have a few factories left, but Italy is still very it's strong ripe. on that. Uh, Spain is still extremely strong. Portugal is strong. France remains very good in leather goods. And this kind of thing, and of course on women's wear, but we're going to speak about this another time okay. because uh, they're very important. We are Jump very to important. the next area. Um, so many people say, okay, I'm ready to get something handmade. And they jump directly to the best bespoke they can find because they can afford it. But we've often said that if you're getting something handmade for the first time, it's not a bad idea to try made to measure first, just to get the experience. Yeah, even so you don't make a, a mistake. Yeah, even if it's made to measure, is not handmade. Maybe well, it's, yeah. yeah, it's not. It's not handmade. No. But we can say it's more customized. It's yes. more a made to order, I yes. guess you could say. Yeah, so because people sometimes have a confusion between bespoke, handmade, made to measure, made to order. Okay, handmade is handmade. Uh, uh, it's more or less uh, reserved to be. But bespoke. even ready to wear can be handmade. Exactly. So it's very confusing for people. So let's just review. You this have, is what I said. You have, a, you have ready to wear and mm -hmm. you have the high end ready to wear like Kiton, mm -hmm. Adelini. Yes. Um, name some more. Uh, Belves, Sant'Andrea, a lot of uh, fantastic brands Isaiah. like that. Isaiah. And so what they're doing is they're in this 
big factory type sartorias, but they are having people who are dedicated to a handmade operation. Mm-hmm. One group of people may just make pockets on suit. Another may make the lapels. Another may do the canvassing, um, sewing in of the canvassing. But they are really handmade, mm-hmm. even though they're sold as a ready-to-wear. Mm-hmm. I hope that's clear because a lot of people are confused. Well, about I mean, that. it's just uh, it's just easy to understand. But the thing is that made to measure doesn't mean handmade. Made to measure is that you go to a salon and they take your measurement. Normally, you have a fitting jacket and then uh, you choose your different pockets, your fabric, your lining, etc., etc., and then everything is sent to a factory. And this is what I say. Why sending this to China? Why do you send this to Europe? I'm, I'm sorry. I don't want to sound like a patriot, you know, but I think that today we discovered with this pandemic that we were so much uh, relying on China for so many things, as far as medication, as far as... Well, there's a shortage of, um, how do you call this for the cars, these chips? Yeah, the chips. The chips, electronic chips. Why? Because 99% is made in China, so now the whole world is in the shortage of car. If you want to buy a car in France, you have to wait six months. This right, day and now they're upping the price by 5000 just to be able to access exactly. the car. Exactly. Same, same for the molecules in some medication. We're talking about very important thing. Once again, I have nothing against China, but why all of a sudden, and I think that this pandemic created this, it's like a wake-up call. And to come back to our world, the wake-up call is that think twice. Think twice. Maybe you can find something which is beautifully made in Italy, in Spain. I don't want you to become obsessional, you know. If you like something that is made in China, it doesn't matter to me. Buy it, you know. But I I believe that more and more we're going to move back to... I would not say relocalization because this is probably not the proper term, but the fact that us consumer, if we consume less, we will consume better. So it will allow some atelier to practice a little bit higher price so that if we consumers are ready for many reasons to pay a little bit more, to have a better quality and a better fitting suit, for example, it will change the whole industry. Well put, well put. Let's move back to define made to measure because we define the ready, the high-end ready-to-wear. The other ready-to-wear, they're just doing machine operations. But, okay, let's define made to measure. That, I, I just did it, baby. But no? let's paint a picture. I'm a customer. I walk in. I am measured. My yes. body's measured. Mm-hmm. But none of the work's done on site. It's nope. sent out. In a factory. It can be sent out to a factory in the U.S., a factory in Europe, a factory in China, As all I said. kinds of different factories. But the key thing that Bruce Boyer said is that if you're looking to define bespoke, when you walk into the door, you're going to see the name of the tailor on the door. And, and, and the atelier is right there. And the LEA is on location. Exactly. exactly. And that's the main difference between bespoke and made-to-measure. Bespoke, which is the ancestral, okay, it's expensive. Well, it is, let's say, it's an investment. I right. prefer to put it like that. Okay, not everybody is ready to put... Bespoke, real bespoke, it's probably in the... The price bracket is very large, depending on the country. Let's say between 2000 and 10000 plus. Okay, that's bespoke tailoring. But you have a garment that is made on site by a tailor with several fittings. And not only you will have something that 
no ready-to-wear will offer to you, no even made-to-measure can offer to you because this is really for you and really you work with a tailor. But on top of that, what you do is good for the planet, is good for the tailor, is good for the industry, is good for the pollution, is good for everything. Right. So this is why I'm quite... Uh, confident. Everybody say it's difficult. Uh, people don't dress up again. People are more and more casual. They live in their sweatpants with because of the pandemic. Well, on the contrary, you and me, we are. We have our thumb on the pulse of this market, and I can tell you that, yes, the people who were wearing suit because they had to wear suit, they will not wear suit anymore. But the people who wear suit now is because they want. So they want more quality. And there are, I suppose ready to pay more. And if they're ready to pay more, and I don't say one 300% more, no, no, a little bit more, then all of a sudden it becomes possible again to recreate ateliers and salons uh, in our countries, whether it be in the USA, whether it be in Canada, whether it be in any kind of country, or on the, the other side of the pond, uh, in France, in Spain, in Italy, in Germany, in Austria, wherever. Uh, and that's, for me, uh, very interesting. And we're talking about buying less, remember? So in upcoming episodes, I want to go into what that less wardrobe means. Yes, and we will maybe work on what will be my ideal minimalistic wardrobe and what will be, darling, your minimal, uh, minimalistic ideal wardrobe. Are you game for that? I am. Okay, so are we good for today? We are good for today. This is our first podcast for Patreon, so we want to hear from you. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you think. Ask your question. Okay, we were a little bit passionate. I don't know if we were um, totally, uh, I don't know, pertinent in everything that we said, but what take, take away from what we just say. Ladies and gentlemen, please. Classic style can be an answer to many of the problems we have, or from a tutorial point of view, of course. And if you, you just remember one thing, buy less, but buy better. Take your time, study, understand what you buy, and you will see that you will uh, have great dividends. Amen. We <laughs> give you an appointment <laughs> to the next podcast reserved for our Patreons. Thank you so much once yes, again for your you. support. We love you and we see you very soon. Bye-bye, everybody. See you soon. Bye, Bye darling. Cheers. Thank you.